You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Christopher Renstrom has been a practicing astrologer since 1985. He currently writes the daily horoscopes for the San Francisco Chronicle and sfgate.com. He created the horoscope column for Allure magazine, and Renstrom's horoscopes were carried on Verizon, Sprint, and Alltel. He conceived and developed Ask the Astrologer for LifetimeTV.com. RulingPlanets.com is his vision of an online subscription-based interactive astrology magazine. It's based on his book, Ruling Planets. Thank you for joining me, Christopher. Thank you for having me on. Christopher, I've always been fascinated by astrology and reading my horoscope because whether or not I believe in the veracity or accuracy or where it comes from, it always gives me kind of a different take on whatever the day is. Uh And I really like that kind of, uh, it really helps me to get out of my head. And I always wondered, too, about the actual practice of writing, because this is actually a writing task. You have to write something, and you have to write it on a daily basis. So talk a little bit about how you became interested in astrology, and how you uh, that interest led to actually writing horoscopes. Well, sure. Um, I became interested in astrology when I was uh, attending NYU, and what I found fascinating about it Uh, I actually first hooked into astrology through art history, um, through the iconography and the uh, symbolism, which is so involved in in astrology. And so it completely intrigued me and and fascinated me. And then to learn that there was a whole system or whole language that went with it, as as well as a history, was, was completely absorbing and mesmerizing for me. So I began... Uh, like most astrologers do, we practice under someone, or, or we learn under someone. It's very sort of uh, guild-like in that way. You have an expert that you study under. And my teacher, her name was Carolyn Esnian in New York City, and uh, an amazing, an amazing astrologer. She studied under Zoltan Mason, who was a big deal at the time. And, um, you know, you essentially learn from I know it sounds a little odd, but you learn from a master. You learn from someone who is at the top of the craft. And so I would start, like most astrologers did, with horoscopes. You, you cast a horoscope and you read for a client, and that's oral. That's speaking. You, you do a reading for a client, and, mm-hmm. and you speak the reading. But then I had the opportunity to begin writing for Allure magazine, which is Condé Nast Publications. They were just beginning uh, in 1991, and they needed a regular horoscope column. And so I had to take what I spoke and translate that to words. Okay, I had to write, you know, in in conjunction with that. And then I had to write in very uh, short prose. (laughs) You'd have to uh, write for 12 signs, and you would have, in the case of Allure magazine, I think I had maybe about 85 words, you know, per sign. But with the San Francisco Chronicle, which is even more challenging, it's 25 to, I think, about 28 words (laughs) a sign. So you learn very quickly uh, to make your point fast, to drop your adjectives, and to edit on the spot. Now, tell us a little bit about the history of astrology. I think it's really interesting what what it comes from, because uh, 
it's not always signs. It's it's constellation, and these beliefs are old. It's pre-Roman. Oh yeah, it's well, it's um, Babylonian, which is present-day Iraq, uh, is the origin of it. Astrology is thirty-five hundred years old, and the important thing to understand about astrology is that it is not a science and it is not a religion. It never has been. It never will be. What astrology is, is our first calendar. That's why every major civilization on the planet developed some form of astrology. It was in order to tell time. When you sort of put yourself into the head that, in astrology, everything is seen from the Earth's point of view, all right? Uh, So when you think of the way that we tell time, don't we still in essence, tell time by the rising and setting of the sun. I mean, there's a difference in the quality of light and heat of 6.30 in the morning versus 1 o'clock in the afternoon, or 6.30 at night, or even 12 midnight. We tell time according to where the sun is in the sky. When you take that idea that a planet, and the sun was considered a planet as was the moon, comes from the Greek word planetos, which means wandering star, and that was to differentiate the lights that moved in the sky versus the ones that didn't. So when you take that idea that a planet rises, crosses the sky, and sets again, okay, and that it takes a particular amount of time to do that, all right, uh, then you start understanding how astrology came to be. I mean, they, these civilizations and they're not like random civilizations here. It's, there's a Middle Eastern astrology, there's a Chinese astrology, an Indian astrology, a Mesoamerican astrology. Um, and those are just really the most famous uh, ones that we know about. But in essence, you would basically work out your time according to the rising and setting of the planet. So that's the way that we constructed the day, the month, the year. So in essence, astrology provided the first calendar, setting us up with the four seasons, the year, and what would happen is that astrologers would time how long it took a planet to return to where it was when it began, when they began counting, and that's all those cuneiforms and tablets that were uh, collected by Ashurbani, uh, Ashurbani Pa, I believe his name is, uh, the Babylonian uh, emperor who who created the first uh, library that recorded this information. So, again, astrology is not a belief. Uh, You don't have to believe astrology. It's a calendar. That's why it's so ubiquitous. It's as ubiquitous as the refrigerator calendar. Now, most astrology uh, is the kind of astrology that we're really familiar with, the newspaper horoscope. That was invented by a British astrologer in 1930s. So talk a little bit about that. And you have something different. You have something that I think a lot of astrologers you pay attention to ruling planets gives the clue that you pay attention to something that is not usually the centerpiece of most astrologers' uh, concepts. Right, right. Uh, well, first of all, R.H. Naylor creates the first sun sign column in 1930 for the birth of Princess Margaret. Um, and it's done as a gimmick, as a newspaper gimmick. Um, she's born, and he writes up an astrological profile of her. She's born under, she's a Leo. Um, and he writes up an astrological profile of her, and it becomes such a hit. It becomes such a, pop, a popular feature. You know, so many people in Britain think this is terrific that the newspaper editor comes back to Irish Naylor and says, hey, you know, can you do this on a regular basis? 
And RH Nadler's like, um, <laughs> how? You have millions of readers, and they all have their own horoscopes and, and all these sorts of things. And the editor's like, I don't know, wow me, come up with an idea, you know. So Naylor figures out, you know what? Each sign equals a month of the year. So if I divide the year into the 12 signs and we publish those dates, um, and then I write like a little astrological blurb maybe next to it, like this is a good day for whatever, or, or Venus is whatever, and you're going to fall in love, you know, maybe that could work. And the editor's like, great, let's run it. And so that's the origin of the astrological sun, uh, sun sign column. What's funny about that is that Princess Margaret whom it was written for, is a Leo, which means that her ruling planet was the sun. So actually, it's a princess of the sun who becomes the inspiration for the astrological sun sign column. And those sorts of things happen in astrology all the time. They're kind of like fun little nuggets. Now, um, all this dates way back to, to, to Ptolemy and the Tetra. Before. <laughs> <laughs> Ptolemy's kind of a latecomer. <laughs> <laughs> Talk, talk a little bit about, you know, the the idea of um, that's kind of at the, the core of astrology, which is that there's this integration in the cosmos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the idea is the first thing, uh, another thing that's really important to point out is that the idea that there was a fate or a destiny, a predetermined fate or destiny, that's not astrology at all. That's actually made up by St. Augustine, mm-hmm. who used to be kind of what I call an astrology whore. I hope that's okay to say on the show, but he used to hang out with prostitutes and astrologers, and mm-hmm. then he found religion, and like anyone who gets reformed, you know, you know, like demonized everything that came before. He's the one who actually attaches, because he had had this history of going for astrological consultation, he attaches the whole idea of fate and destiny, and astrology says it's going to do this. Well, this was not the way that it was looked at before. Um, The ancient or the older civilizations knew full well that destiny was a very capricious thing. What you were trying to do was actually kind of get a through line or get a sort of feeling of consistency, that things weren't going to happen willy-nilly. So when you had the invention of the year and the understanding of seasons and that things turned on a wheel, that actually brought a great deal of peace and stability to people. And so they looked to the stars for the return of the stars, the timing of the stars, to give them this sense of continuity and stability in their lives. So the idea then became, if we're going into a time of famine, okay, we're going into a time of famine, that's life, these things happen. How long is this time of famine going to, going to last? And so they would look to the stars and they would time how long that time of famine was going to last. One of the, one of the things that originates from astrology is weather forecasting. And in mm-hmm. fact, the planets were used for weather forecasting all the way up to about maybe the 1850s. Or the 1870s. I mean, we have a remnant of this with the uh, Farmer's Almanac. So um, th- this is really all about kind of plotting the course. What you would ask was, when is the best time to? And this is what you see in the older texts. When is the best time to go to war? When is the best time to plant? When is the next best time to harvest? The best time to marry? The best time to ship my goods? Okay, the best time to make peace? And so astrology's function was to really set these events in time so that you could get the maximum result for the effort that you were putting into it. Boy, that's that like makes uh, that's shockingly sensible. 
<laughs> yes. It, well, it is shockingly sensible. I mean, <laughs> the the system is extremely sensible. But what happened is all this woo-woo stuff got, you know, connected to it. But when you cut away the bramble and when you cut away the weeds and get down to the basic roots, that's why it has survived. It's not because of superstition or people being silly. It's because it was sensible and that it worked. Either the event took place or it didn't. That's generally what happens. Now, uh, talk about what, describe to us what a natal horoscope is and how you would do that for an individual. Okay. Natal horoscope refers to a birth horoscope. Everyone is born with a horoscope. Okay. Uh, by the way, not just people. Anything born into time has a natal horoscope. So horoscopes, and we have them dating back centuries, were drawn up for temples. They were drawn up for nations. Um, they have even recently, you know, as the other day, they'll be drawn up for businesses and mergers and acquisitions. So anything that is born into time has a birth, so it has a horoscope that you follow. The horoscope is essentially when you step into the game and when, you know, kind of the great cosmic timekeeper up above, I don't know how else to put it, starts your stopwatch. I mean, this is the beginning of your time, you know, so this is the beginning of an enterprise or this is the beginning of a young life. And so the horoscope works as a sort of snapshot of the stars, and astrologers use that to basically see the character we look for two things in a horoscope. A, the character or the psychology of the person. This comes from the Galenic tradition of the four humors and the temperaments. We look for the psychology or the makeup of the person. And it also works as a calendar. We use that horoscope to time things in the person's life so that if someone is saying, is this a good time for me you know, to go into business, an astrologer can answer that intelligently according to what's going on in, in the sky. We can say, this is terrific, go for it, or mm, you know what, you might want to wait a couple of weeks. I mean, this would be a much more auspicious time for you to begin your, your business or your enterprise. Now, uh, I guess even Carl Jung had, had some interest in this, in, uh, oh, yeah. with, with regard to, to archetypes and, and his analytical psychology. Talk about... Um, the the diff the way the planets work into this because this is I think a, a key concept for your website and your approach to astrology and Absolutely. that has to do with divine and that was actually I think if I'm not mistaken the more the way that the horoscopes were originally conceived was the influence of the planets not the signs as it were right right and that's the big thing uh, that that I try to uh, tell people about the simple thing to know about astrology is planets move, zodiac signs don't, okay? And the best way to think of it is to imagine a clock, okay? If you imagine the face of a clock and you see the 12 numbers on the face of a clock, and all you have, Rick, are those 12 numbers, could you tell me the time? Uh, probably not. Why? Uh, well, you would need a marker moving through past the numbers to indicate where you were in the cycle of the day. Exactly. You're exactly right. You would need the hands of a clock. The 12 constellations, the zodiac signs, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, all the way through, those are the 12 numbers on the face of a clock. It's the hands of the clock that we use to tell time. The hands of the clock are the planets. Okay, the planets are like the sun, always rising, crossing across the sky, and setting again. So 
so it's the planets that tell us the time. When you're born under a sign, like, for instance, maybe someone is born under Aries, Aries is ruled by a planet. That planet is Mars. We follow Mars in the sky to see, is it rising? Is it setting? Is it in a prominent position? Is it in a weaker position? And we use the position of that planet in the sky to basically talk intelligently about that person's horoscope. If the planets did not move, or let's say you just based it on your zodiac sign, well, everyone would be reading the same horoscope column day in and day out because the signs never move. They don't rise or set. It's the planets that are rising and setting, and particularly it's your ruling planet, the planet that you were born under, that kind of gives you the stamp of your character. You inherit the uh, planet's talents or, or, or interests or temperament, but you also inherit the planet's foibles, its blind spots, its you know shortcomings, all those sorts of things. So to be born under, and this is what we used to say before 1930, we would say, I'm a child of Venus or I was born under Saturn, or Mars is my guiding star. And this would immediately tell people about your temperament. If you're a child of Venus, you're very loving and harmonious. Um, I think it's Edgar in King Lear who talks about being born under Saturn and how he's very dark and very melancholic. You know, And then children of Mars, of course, are very rash and very uh, brave and, and hopefully heroic. Um, unless they're born under Mars retrograde, which is referred to in Shakespeare's, I think, It's All's Well That Ends Well, where she's talking to one of the characters, and he says, I was born under Mars retrograde, and she says, yes, yes, that's why you flee the battlefield rather than proceed forward. <laughs> so these were the ways that people understood astrology. Now, uh, each of the planets is associated with different kind of psychological traits of yes. humans. And how does that... Um, who created those correlations, and are those things changeable? And how do you, as an astrologer, when you're looking at somebody's um, their natal horoscope, uh, kind of uh, add those things up? Well, the thing is, I will always begin with the, um, the, the sun is always the heart of the chart, okay? So that will tell me about the person's heart. The sun is what I know about myself to be true, Okay. The moon is what I feel about myself to be true. And if you think of those two statements, they're very different. You know, mm -hmm. What I know about myself to be true, this, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to stand by. What I feel about myself to be true, that's mutable, that's changeable. Well, that's reflected by what we see in the sky. When the sun's out, it's out. You don't see any other planet. Maybe at certain times you can see the moon, but the sun is out in the sky. It dominates the sky. It fills it with light and heat. Okay, when the moon is out, she's the most changeable in her appearance. No other planet in the sky changes her appearance as quickly as the moon does. And so there you sort of would see the idea of, you know, the solid heart and, and, and heat and light versus something more uh, reflective, more luminescent, more, more reflective, more changeable in her appearance. And then by basically watching the motion of the planets, they would these characters would emerge. The next planet to emerge in the um, astrological pantheon is Venus. Uh, when she's out in the sky, she's light and she's bright and she's gorgeous. You can't miss her. So Venus became associated to love and beauty. Mercury, you could never really tell whether he was out or not. In fact, you can only spy Mercury, I think it's three times a year, for about 90 minutes before sunrise and 90 minutes at sunset. 
So Mercury gained the reputation of being the peekaboo planet, the one that sort of quickly followed on the heels of the sun. Now you could see him, now you could not. And so Mercury was connected to being mercurial, speedy, swift, fast. You know, not not always quite sure whether he was there or not. Mars was red, so he was connected to passion and to uh, war and to battle and to conflict. Jupiter was the largest planet after Venus, uh, stayed in a sign or stayed in a portion of the sky longer than, than all the previous ones that I mentioned. So to Jupiter was given, Jupiter was the planet of emperors. Constantine was very proud of the fact that Jupiter was his ruling planet. You know, it wasn't sun which was connected to kings, but a planet of emperors and of empire. And then Saturn, the last of our original seven planets, was the most distant, the, most, the slowest moving. And so to Saturn was given time and old age and, uh, you know, slow, deliberate motion. So these were kind of the beginning seeds of the planetary characteristics. And then remember, astrology has been around for 3,500 years, so over time, they would take on uh, very particular and very unique associations. Now, as a as an astrologer, but you're um, you have two kind of different tasks. You you can create um, readings for individuals, and that's a very sophisticated and I would assume a very specific process that involves you know exact times and dates of birth, and that allows you to chart things with a certain amount of accuracy based on you know our con- you know our current knowledge of where planets are in the sky is pretty sophisticated and you know on and, and pretty well documented. Absolutely. Then on the other hand, you're writing a daily column for <laughs> for the Chronicle, and that's a diff, really uh, a, a very different kind of matter. Talk about uh, going back and forth between the two. I have to tell you that writing the daily column for the Chronicle has made me uh, the astrologer that uh, has allowed me to practice the astrology that I can practice. Uh, one of the things that I began to appreciate as being a difference between the two is that when you do a horoscope consultation. Uh, for for a client, you know, you an astrologer will work for an hour, ninety minutes with a client. You are looking at a fixed chart, and so you're going to look at this chart, and and everything is going to revolve around this chart. Um, and you'll look for transits and and things like that 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 will impact and that will influence. When you write a daily horoscope column, you become very uh, familiar very quickly with the motion of the planets because they're in constant motion, they're changing all the time, and when you write a daily column, you have to record those changes every day. You have to follow those changes every day. So it gives you an appreciation of planets that are in motion, and then you get a feeling for their cycles. Here's a here's a, an eclipse cycle coming up, for instance, nowadays. It's in Gemini and Sagittarius, or this is when Mars goes retrograde. You're able to follow these things much more quickly day to day because you're writing a column that is cataloging and, and narrating these things day to day. When you're just working with, and I don't mean to say just, but when you're working one-on-one with a client, um, what I've seen happen with a lot of astrologers is that they become more personality uh, oriented, you know, they they mm-hmm. become much more like these planets mean these in the personality, and they lose sight of what the uh, greater motions and rhythms and cycles cycles of the planets are. 
and one of the things that uh, interests me, you were talking about the, you know, the absolute, you know, rock bottom number of words you have to to craft these things. And it seems to me that this must take a great deal of skill to. You could probably write paragraphs and paragraphs about what for each of these signs and the planets that are moving through them. Talk about uh, crafting something that uh, you know is essentially a tweet, an astrological tweet. I know it's very funny. My associate Wendy, she shared with me a great phrase, which is, uh, "If I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I get that. Which, which I love. <laughs> she has all sorts of those pearls of wisdom that she shares. Um, the the thing is, at first I was like, you know, I remember when I first got the column. Well, I inherited the column, you know, from Jean Dixon, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and it was a great honor to be the person who who uh, was next in line after after Jean Dixon, who's just so legendary in in, in everything that she's done. But um, I remember at first uh, reacting like, how many words? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, they're 28, Christopher. And actually, it was more insidious than that. It was ca- what they call characters. So you had to count mm-hmm. the spaces mm-hmm. between the words, <laughs> you know, not just the words. And it was just, you know, but that was so that it could go up on, on, on the net and things like that. So at first, I was like, oh, this is horrible. Everyone gets much more room to say things or whatever. But then over a period of time, I began to really appreciate the economy of the words and that there is a particular style. You have to be able to, it's not quite a sound bite, but it's kind of this side of a sound bite, and you become very uh, selective of your word choice, and, and, and it's got to mean exactly what it has to mean. And what I enjoyed about it as an astrologer, and it can sometimes happen with astrologers, is you'll get a lot of what I call astrological gobbledygook in, in a column or even in a reading where someone's like, oh, your son is Queen Kunk's Uranus. And it always sounds, you know, like, where are we going with this and what does it mean? And so the newspaper column really taught me, choose your words. You know, get very Hemingway in the way in your prose truck style here. <laughs> Choose your words and make it very, very simple and make it very, very to the point. And get rid of your adjectives. That's one of the first things that goes when you're writing that kind of a column. I never thought I'd heard Hemingway in a horoscope in the horoscopes in the same uh, interview. <laughs> well, we both have a book that we love in common, which is Ecclesiastes. And uh, any astrologer uh, who has practiced is very familiar with Ecclesiastes, and that was also one of Hemingway's uh, favorite books. Now, uh, as a as a writer, kind of cranking these out, you're also kind of thinking about you know your audience and your people, and you have a, yeah. a website. So, talk about the kind of interactions for you on a daily basis. You know, you're working with. Uh, clients you're you're trying to get this out i mean that must take kind of an iron will to get that out seven days a week it does and the iron will comes from the joy of it you know it's the joy of it i just i love what i do (laughs) i love what i do i love my clients i love my audience i love people and you have these stories you just have these extraordinary stories that you're telling um you know, an astrologer does not know. We do not have the answers. That is not what we do, okay? What an astrologer does is read. And reading is a very, very particular practice. You, you set up the horoscope and you read it, and you read this person's life story. 
and they'll interact. They'll say, this is right, that's wrong, what about this, what about that? You know, they'll even be able to share things. And, and you just have this wonderful sensation of participating in this rich 3,500-year-long history that is alive and still moving into the future. And when you take that in, it is one of the most awesome and awe-inspiring uh, things that you can have. When you were reading the writing of uh, Morin de Vifranche, who's kvetching about Cardinal Richelieu back in wherever, you know, in the 12,000, what kind of misfortunes he's caused him or whatever. I mean, you can relate. You relate through your astrology. You're saying, oh, my goodness, you know, he's dealing with a Saturn in the 12th house. I get it, you know. I mean, and so you kind of sort of reach through time and you feel these lives of these people. And, and because they were living in time with their own hopes and dreams or good days or bad days, it, it really brings them to you in a very resonant and, and a very powerful way. And, and that's something that I'm very thankful that I get to do in my practice and that with my audience and with my, uh, my, my subscribers and my clients that I get to do as well. I mean, one of the things that I really enjoy is Ask the Astrologer, which is basically what I created. It's Dear Abby for the Stars, and it's an opportunity to not only, you know, answer questions, you know, that people have about their life, but also to make astrology accessible, which is kind of my mission, to bring it down from the stars and make it very down-to-earth and very accessible, because I, I think it's one of the most beautiful things that our civilization has ever created. What I like about it, for me, is that when you said it's not a science and, and it's not a religion, and I think what uh, you're talking about here is that it is, it's an art form, and yeah. I like the idea of reading as an art form. Absolutely, because you are in service to your client. Um, you know, and, and the reading relationship is extraordinary because, you know, you can have clients who are just, you know, you sit down to read a chart and you get like about five words into it and the client's like, oh, my goodness, I know exactly what you're talking about. And they'll do the rest of the talking if you don't <laughs> sort of take over the, take the reins back again, you know, and, and lead them through the reading. You know, or you'll have clients in which, you know, the chart says this, and the client's looking at you like, I don't get any of this. And what do you do? You can't, you know, say, this is your chart and you have to like whatever. No, you have to serve the client. You have to be with the client in that moment. And are they getting it? Are they not getting it? And so your job as the reader is to read. And maybe the client follows it and maybe the client doesn't. Or maybe the client takes things out of the reading that had nothing to do with what you were putting Across, But what I teach my students is a reading is like a scroll. You open it up and you read it. And it's the client's, the client gets to do with that information what they do with that information. It may make sense in the moment. I've had many clients come back and say, you know, what you said made sense two, five years later. You know, it didn't make sense in that moment, but years later it did. And so that's what you offer the client. That's the service that the astrologer has to perform for the client. I've been speaking with Christopher Renstrom. He's the creator of rulingplanets.com, and he writes horoscopes for the San Francisco Chronicle and sfgate.com. Thank you for joining me, Christopher. Thank you for having me on the show.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.